Good morning, church. You know, it's good to see this church so full, considering it's still hunting season. So, um, you know, if you sit up front uh, when we're doing worship, it's amazing how good you guys sound. And, you know, it's good feedback for the worship team to hear you guys responding like that. So give yourself a hand. This morning we're going to be reading from 1 Peter, and as usual, I get the whole chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. May grace, peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith of a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressibly and, inexpressibly and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have not been now announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things unto which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with, precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave 
in glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for, insincere, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living and binding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you much for your word, Father, that uh, we're able to join together as your children this morning to hear Jackie teach on First Peter, Lord, and that we pray for open minds and open hearts that what you have for us will be taken in, we digest it, and become part of our daily lives. Lord, we just thank you for being God. We thank you for being our God, Father. Lord, we pray for this church. We pray for this nation, Lord, that uh, just needs to come back to you. We pray for our leadership throughout federal and state and local governments, Lord, that they would seek you, Lord, first, and that they would be obedient and follow you, Lord. So, Lord, we raise up uh, these words to you, Father. We raise up Jackie to you, and you pray for your anointing over him. And uh, just ask all your blessing on this morning. Pray us on Jesus. Amen. Am I live? Or is it Memorex? <clears throat> Some people don't remember that commercial. They're like, Memorex, what's that? <laughs> See, you used to have these tapes that you could record yourself on. <laughs> tapes, what's that? Yeah, sorry. I don't know how to help you after that. So we're going to come together to 1 Peter. We're going to finish 1 Peter chapter 1 prayerfully today. Um, so as we take a look at what's going on, 1 Peter, Peter writes this epistle to a non-Jewish church that was going through persecution, harassment, and hostility. Anybody seen any of that out on the horizon? This letter is written to encourage them that they have grace, that's unmerited favor from God, in times of need. It's a letter of encouragement to a suffering body by way of understanding that your ability to be who Christ has called you to be has nothing to do with the level of suffering you go through. And the level of suffering you go through has nothing to do with God's pleasure in you or with you. But we have a hard time separating those things, right? I mean, most of the time growing up as children, we're disciplined. Bad things happen to, to us when we do bad things, right? And we get that so ingrained in our mind that when bad things happen in a world that is fallen and in rebellion against God, we are somehow shocked that that is the place we find ourselves. So Peter writes this letter. He writes to tell them that they have a new identity. And the point of having a new identity is 
that you will see today that you are exiles. That means you're refugees. Now, how are refugees treated? Not usually very good, right? You are refugees here. So he wants you to know you have a new identity. He also wants you to know that the suffering that we endure is a way for us to bear witness to Christ. The Lord, he whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. And for whatever reason, we as creatures, we are more able to express those things in times of suffering than we are in times of good. If you look at the history of the children of Israel, when did they forget God? When their pockets were full, when their bellies were full, when they dwelt in peace. And they forgot God. You can read about this over and over again if you read the Old Testament. They forgot about God, they forgot Him, and then their times of trial came, their times of suffering came, and what happens is a cry would rise up from the people to the Lord. This is part of our nature. He wants, Peter wants us to understand in times of suffering, we are able to bear witness of Jesus Christ. And the way we endure is by focusing our future hope in him. I am waiting for the real return of the king. There will be a day, the Bible speaks of it, when the king will return. And I will be found faithful unto that day or until I see his face. This is our living hope. Last time Mark shared with you guys the, the security that we can have in God's grace. And the reason we can have security in this grace that God gives us in time of need is because he's the one who gives it. It's by his power. He saved you. He will sustain you. He is the source. This grace that we have is also based on his promises. They were declared by the prophets. They were designed for us. And they are desired by the angels. Today as we come to verse 13, we're, we're going to look at the stability of this grace. This grace we have in time of need. It's, it's there. It's always available. The source is God. The provision is him. It's not us. Learning the, the stability of this grace. To be able to tap into this power in time of need. And it's going to run counter to everything you want to do. You ever notice how Jesus does that? If you want life, you have to give it away. Well, that's weird. That seems opposite. But this is the things that he's going to call us to. In verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, listen, he says, Therefore, since these things that we've talked about, you need to prepare your mind for action. The Christian life is a life of discipline. There is no pixie dust coming out of the sky 
It requires discipline. We have to be disciplined. You can be a lazy soldier or you can be a disciplined soldier. When everything goes to pot, which one do you want around? The lazy one who, who picks up his AR and it's all rusty shut. I spent so much time cleaning an M16 when I was in the Marine Corps. I, and it was amazing because I think that, honestly, you know, I think that that our, our drill instructors and later on our gunnies, they went through and squirted water on them. So we'd come back. I said, man, I just cleaned all the rest off of this. And there's more growing on it. Might have something to do with being on a ship in the middle of the ocean at the time as well. It requires discipline. It requires discipline. Now, what's the source of the strength? It's not, it's not going to come from, from me in those days. It's going to come from the Lord. But I need to be disciplined. What's my part? Gird up the loins. Be ready. Be ready for what God has for us. Prepare your mind. Listen, it's active, not passive. When the scripture talks about waiting on the Lord, it's active, not passive. What do you mean? How do I wait actively? Okay, Jesus gives us a story. He says... The master went away to a land far away, and he, he, he stayed there a long time. And the servant that was left back began to say, master's never coming back. So he began to beat the other servants and party and live it up. That's passive. The master's gone. I don't need to be disciplined. I don't need to continue to do the things he's called me to do. I'll just let life happen and do whatever I want because he's gone. And then the scripture says the master returns at a time when he was not ready. Interesting. When the Bible calls us to wait on the Lord, it is active. There are very clear commands in scripture for us, aren't there? Clear commands like we've been talking about them in, in John, 1 John, 2 John. Third John, right? Beware those who would deceive you and love one another. Well, I don't know that we need to go much beyond that. We have a hard enough time with those two things. Why don't we just stay there? So let's work on being disciplined about those things. I have talked a number of times and it is a goal. I don't know if I'll ever get a day, but I hope I'll get a day where I'll be able to say only words that brought honor and glory to God came out of my mouth today. And I hope I will get a day where only deeds that brought honor and glory to God did I do today. That requires discipline. So he tells us, prepare your minds for action. Prepare yourselves. Understand the scripture, the call of the scripture. Be active. Then he says, be sober-minded. Every, every once in a while I get asked questions about drinking, whether or not you can drink or not drink, and what do we do if the state says that you can smoke pot all day long? You know, I don't care what they do. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to do what the Bible says. The Bible says be sober-minded. Be sober. You don't get to not be sober. I don't care what it is. If you eat Hershey's chocolate, and it takes you into a dream state. Don't eat Hershey's chocolate. <laughs> Learn how to have just one. <laughs> Learn 
Learn how to use the things God's given us properly. Be sober-minded. Here's what that word means. To be calm in a steady state of mind that is able to evaluate and make right decisions. That's what it is to be sober. So I don't care what the state says about anything. I'm just going to do what the Bible says. What's the Bible say? The Bible says to have a calm, steady state of mind that is able to evaluate and make right decisions. This is where we want to be, preparing our minds, being sober-minded, listen to this, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is probably part of where we struggle. Because we tend to hope for a lot of things. I hope that the tires I put on my motorcycle last longer than the last set. I hope that the price of housing will come down. <laughs> for those of you who are trying to sell, sorry, hurry. <laughs> There's a lot of things we can hope. I hope that the economy will get stronger. I I hope that uh, we'll survive this presidency. I hope for a lot of things. But he says here, Peter says, as he's encouraging a church that's going through difficult times and harassment and struggles, he says to them, set your hope fully on the grace that you will see that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on him. Sometimes I set my hope on things that just don't work out. And then disappointment is real, right? And then I have to struggle against my own disappointment or I have to struggle against my own bitterness or frustration. I need to have complete reliance on him, on Christ. Me too. You ever been disappointed with somebody in church? Now, don't raise your hand. You ever been disappointed in your pastor? Yeah. I know, I, I get the phone calls. The, but the point is, is not, I'm not trying to say this so that it alleviates me from any, any uh, uh, changes that I need to accomplish. No, I know there's lots of things I need to change, but your hope does not to be set in me. Your hope is to be set in Christ, in his appearing. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hope in him. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on, the reality is we don't do this enough. There's no such thing as a person that's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's bunk. Some knucklehead come up with that. Listen, you need to set your mind on the eternal. Set your mind on Christ and his return. Set your mind on his promises. Set your mind on the things that are above. Not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. You're a refugee. Your life is hidden in Christ. In God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a better day coming. Set your eyes. Fix your gaze. Prepare your mind, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully upon him. Then look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. Now listen, here's the thing. This is, a, this is something that has been, I don't know what I put on these things. Yeah, bacon. It looks, <laughs> kind of looks like bacon grease. No matter how much I wipe them, it doesn't go away. Um, so, no, your glasses, babe, will make me cross-eyed before this is over. So we want to be obedient children. We don't want to be like we were before we got saved. We don't want to just continue in our same old practices. The idea that you could come to church, come to Christ, and be what you were before is malarkey. You guys know what that means? I don't know. It's bad. Malarkey's bad. You cannot continue. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We can't live in it no more. So when we come to Christ, he transforms us. We are changed. So as obedient children, like an obedient child, don't walk in your former ignorance. Don't be conformed like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And my mind is renewed by keeping my gaze transfixed on Christ. My focus is on him. So I, I can't go backwards. I need to go forward. So there's a pattern for us to follow. We see it in verse 15. Look, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, we have a crazy idea about holy. Somewhere when we was young, somebody beat into our brains, holiness equals these things. And there's a list somewhere in our brain. So we should probably get an eraser out and work on erasing that. Here's what holiness is. Holiness, holiness is being set apart as holy ground for God to meet you in. You see, the, the Bible, the Lord always wants to be in his temple. And his temple was to be a holy place, right? And this holy place to be sacred ground where, where God was able to meet with his people. Now, the scripture, the New Testament tells us that your body is the temple of God, Right? And so as our body is the temple of God, he's calling us in our temple that our temple would be holy, set apart for him. It's not supposed to look like the world. It's not supposed to be just like everything else. Now, we have ideas what that means. Everybody has a different opinion, different concept, different idea about all of that. Just get this picture in your mind. I want sacred space where I can meet with God in my life. My life is to be sacred space where God and I can meet. 
I need that. So the Lord says to me, be holy as I am holy. Is God set apart? Is he different from the world? He says, be holy as I am holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. The pattern we're to follow is God. His pattern. In Leviticus 11.44, the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God, so consecrate yourself therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Do not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Now, this does not mean bugs make you unholy. But you know what you do when you're walking around your house, you come around a corner, and there is a giant potato bug. You guys know what a potato bug is? Go home and look it up, and then you will be filled with nightmares the rest of your life. It's a big, gnarly-looking beetle with big teeth. I don't know if it has teeth, but it looks like it should. And if you stomp on it, you're going to need a mop. Big, ugly potato bug. Now, when you see that, your immediate mind is not, oh, how holy my house is. The bugs are at peace here. No, what do you think? Well, if you're my wife, you do this. Ah! And then I come running from the other room because I'm pretty sure a murderer just busted in the front door. She's standing up on a chair. This is back when we had chairs in our house. Standing up on a chair, pointing at the ground, screaming, Kill that! Which I have learned not to kill, just get it out. The picture in Leviticus is this picture of sacred space. So what's the picture that Moses is laying out for us? When we gather together with God, it's sacred space. It's, it's not a place where we want creepy crawlies. We don't want, all our, we don't want to bring all our filth there. Right? Do we have a bunch of filth? Do you have filth in your head and in your... So we want to... We want to exercise that. We want to get that out. Just like that big, ugly potato bug. We want it out. He says, for I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. When, when, when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, you remember what God said to him? So Moses, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place you stand is? It's sacred space. This is sacred space. So what's God say to him? He says, take off your sandals. I don't want anything that comes between you and me. So your, I want your skin touching the holiness of this place and of this time. This is what the Lord is looking for from us. We have a, a problem, our former lifestyle. God wants us to walk in holiness. He presents for us the example uh, that he wants us to be, the pattern to follow, to be like him. And then he gives us the, this concept. He wants us to understand our own accountability. Look at verse 17. Now, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. Do you know how long you're in exile? Till you see his face. This place is not my home yet. But it will be. 
One day my king will come. My eyes on the hope. So listen to my accountability. He's saying, look, I want you to be holy. I want your life to be sacred space, a space where I can meet you, where you and I can commune. Are there things that the Bible talks about that breaks our communion with God? Yeah, there is. Sin breaks our communion with God. And, and so does God tell us what to do about our sin? He does. He says, confess your sins and he'll be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we come to God constantly in this place where we are maintaining sacred space. But that has nothing to do with whether or not you smoke. I don't know who on earth decided, here's the list of holiness. In the midst of the greatest craze where everybody on earth smoked, in order to be holy, you could not smoke. Now, I just want you to know, if you don't smoke and have never smoked, you are no holier than somebody who does smoke. The point of it all is your life pure before God. So if everybody decided tomorrow to take up smoking and give up sinning, I would be happier. <laughs> Instead, we have as a globe given up smoking and taken up sinning. And we think somehow we have become holy. There was on that list the idea of not playing cards because if you play cards, you're unholy. What in the world does cards have to do with your holiness? Holiness is about sacred space before God, and it has to do with your sin. And if you want to understand that more clearly, you have to read the book of Leviticus. Because Leviticus lays out for us, the whole point of Leviticus is, is how to have right space. Space was always needing to be cleansed over and over and over and over and the point of that is that we recognize you can't take a day off on your life thinking, oh, this is where we get back to the idea of discipline. I can't take a day off of my Christian walk and say, you know, today I'm going to not be a Christian and I'm just going to do whatever I want. Because it doesn't work. The disciplined Christian life says my master has gone away, but he's coming back one day and he asked me to be holy. And he gave me the example of himself. So I know what I'm aiming for. And I can spend my entire life making excuses or I can say, you know, I'm going to try to develop the discipline that it'll take to actually do what God's told me to do about sin in my life. And I'm going to stop making dumb lists about things I don't like. Yeah? You know, if you have long hair, you're unholy. <laughs> I got a lot of letters about that when I had a ponytail a while back. You guys remember? Somebody's going, Jackie had a ponytail? Yeah, a couple times in my life. Had a top knot once, too. That was probably a little more disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. Holiness is about sacred space. Sacred space is about a life that is rightly ordered so that God can meet you there. Okay? When, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, and they said Lord... Your disciples are dirty. They didn't wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus looked at them. I, I hope there's video in heaven because I just want to see some of his facial expression. But he looks at them 
And he says, what does eating with unwashed hands have to do with making you dirty? He said, wickedness comes out of your heart, and it was there before you ever ate anything. And that wickedness is what he wants us to deal with. Okay? So if having long hair makes you wicked, cut your hair. If having short hair makes you wicked, grow your hair out. Whatever things cause you to walk in wickedness, you turn from those and flee. And you don't need a list to do it. You know what they are. Be holy, said the Lord, as I am holy. Set apart for him. And I want to have the eyes of my father. I want to judge like God judges. Now, I think most of the time we don't really want that. I think most of the time, you guys all look a little greasy. Most of the time, <laughs> I don't know. There's no cure, babe. What'd you do to them? They were so clear once. Anyway. <laughs> most of the time when we think about God's judgment, we think about, we think about can I spit in it? Oh. Most of the time when we think about God's judgment, we think about the harshness of God and we forget about his grace. And if you remember, whenever you're thinking about, I want to have eyes like God, I want to, I want to see things like God, I always, for whatever reason, I think about Jonah. Because when Jonah is called by God to go to people he hates, right? He want, he's called to go to the Assyrians, and he hates the Assyrians. Jonah is not sitting back going, God's going to get them. I can't wait to go tell them the destruction of the Lord has come. No. What did Jonah do? He ran as far as he could. In fact, he ran so far away from God, his desire, hey, that kind of worked. Thank you. His desire was to um, die before he would give them the message God had for them. So when the choice came in the midst of the storm, hey, what do we do? What do we do? Jonah says, I'll tell you what to do. Throw me in the water. He's like, I'll get, this will show God. He, you're not going to make me do nothing. And so they pick up Jonah and they throw him in the water. And then Jonah, just perfect for Jonah's day, because as he hits the water, a, a, an animal, a whale, whatever, something swallows him, a fish. So I'm sure as he sees that mouth open up to swallow him, he's like, ha, I win. No, you don't. So the fish swallows Jonah, travels over to Nineveh, pukes him up on a beach. Jonah's still bitter. He walks through the city saying, in 40 days, the Lord will destroy this place unless you repent. And then he went up on a high mountain to see what God would do. And the people repented and God forgave him. I want to have eyes like my father. I don't want to despise his grace and I don't want to despise his judgment. Are there times when God does bring judgment? Absolutely. And is it deserved? Every single time. Every single time he comes, he brings that judgment I want, to, I want to be an impartial judge like the Lord. I don't want to have predisposed ideas. 
and sometimes we do, don't we? I don't want to be like that. Leviticus 19.15, this is our challenge from Leviticus. He says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial, partial to the poor or deferred to the great. In righteousness, you will judge your neighbor. So the poor don't get off because they're poor. The rich don't get off because they're rich. No impartiality. This is what the scripture declares about the eyes of God. He will judge according to your deeds. Then he challenges us to conduct ourselves with fear. That is an outright open respect of God. Open respect of God. Look, this we don't understand this today because somewhere in time, somewhere in time, we totally lost connection with what it is to honor the elders. To honor the older people in our families. We became a country, a world, a place where all we care about is youth. So everything, what's beauty? Beauty is being young. What's strength? Strength's being young. Everything about life is all about being young. Rich people spend all their time and money trying to figure out how to live forever. And we've totally lost connection with what it is to honor and the concept of honor carries with it the idea that the Bible talks about when it talks about the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord means I'm honoring him. I honor him as I would honor my father. As I would honor my grandfather. Not to the point where you would come together and think to them, oh my gosh, they're so dumb. What are you trying to help me with? No, I, I fix, Logan fixed it for me. Okay, fix it some more, babe. <laughs> One thing everybody's going to remember is my dirty glasses today. Wow, that is kind of wipey. So we, we have become, we have become a land, a people that, that worships youth and ignores the elderly. We've done it in the church. One of the things we've done in the church is we've separated it all. This is why, this is why we are praying and, and desiring to move to a more inclusive church. Because we separate kids from adults the whole entire time they're in church. And then one day they grow up and they're like, oh, yeah, there's nobody in there I've ever talked to in my life. Nobody I've ever connected with. I never spent one, growing up as a kid, I never one time spoke to an elder in the church growing up. Never, occasionally spoke to a pastor, but he was my dad, so that was a little easier. <laughs> we, we are, we are self-segregating ourselves. Now, does the Bible give us clear distinctions on the roles within the body of Christ? Where is the place of teaching to come from? Let the older women teach the younger women. Let the older men teach. We want to do it backwards. We want to say that we know better because the whole world has kind of spun on its axis that way. And I'm not saying there's nothing. I think every man can be your teacher. But the point is that that's how we should function as a body together. So what we do is we separate. We separate, and then you never one time 
integrate. You know what the, that youth kid that you see on the other side of the room, you know what he needs? He needs you to care about him. He don't know that. He'll figure it out. But you as the elder, more mature person, that's your job, not his. It's our function as part of the body of Christ to reach across the aisle. That's what it is to have the eyes of my father. Because my father, he, he does not have any partiality. Everybody matters. Everybody should be a part of the body. Everyone should worship together and praise the Lord. When I first got here, little kids used to, they used to come run roughshod through my office and people would say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what are you sorry for? I want the little one to say, when I was little, I used to play in a pastor's office. There's no sacred cows here. If you know me, you know my office is a pigsty anyway. And them kids aren't going to make it any worse. When, it, when we had the daycare started, they used to come in and they'd say, pastor, these kids have been bad. So we're going to send them to your office. <laughs> Whatever. So they send them to my office, and they'd walk in, and there'd be this big, sad look on a kid, like, oh, man, i got to sit in the pastor's office. And then the teacher would leave, and I'd open up my drawer and say, come take whatever candy you want. Go sit over there and be quiet. <laughs> so they'd pick up a candy. Pretty soon, I'd have four or five kids in there a day. <laughs> and eventually, the teacher said, this is just not working. And I'm like, that." That's just how I am. That's just how I am. I want, I want for our kids what my kids didn't get because dad thought it was supposed to be some other way. I want your sons and daughters to know the people in the church and the people in the church to know your sons and daughters. I want them to love them, give them wisdom when they need wisdom. Be there for them when they don't want to listen to mom or dad. You know that happens, right? But I need us to do it. I can't do it all. We have to buy into that. I want to have my father's eyes. I want to respect him. I want to walk in holiness for him. And I want to recognize we are all refugees here. Why are we doing all these things? Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Why, why should I want to be holy? Why should I want to walk in these things? Why should I want to have a disciplined life? Why should I want to gird up my mind and be, be sober? Why should I do these things? Why should I set all my hope on Christ? Because you've been bought with a price. For not only did the Lord make you, He bought you. You're twice His. We've been ransomed with a price. The cost of redemption is our motive. We've been ransomed from an empty 
futile road going nowhere. We are ransomed from that. But we were not ransomed with gold. That's just the temporary. Now, here's why he's going he's gonna to use this idea of perishable and imperishable. Why is he using that? Because in the world, in their world, what's going on is they're losing all that stuff. They're losing all that stuff for the cause of Christ. Maybe you can see on the horizon a day in which your religious convictions uh, come in opposition to a government who could make the choice to say, if you're not going to do this the way we want, you can't be here. Now, just so you're aware, and if you want to understand this a little more fully, you're welcome to go spend some time at the Refugee Center in Twin Falls and talk to people there who were thrown out of their countries, no longer welcome in their countries because of their convictions. I know, this is the U.S. It never happened here. I, I said that a lot this last couple of years. How about you? So he said, you were bought, not with the perishable, Gold and silver, it's here today, gone tomorrow, right? Money talks, it just says goodbye. So, so the point is, all this stuff, this place is temporary. Set your hope on Christ, he's permanent. This place is going to, you're going to have good days and bad days here. When you see Jesus, there's no bad days. When you are with him, there will be no downside. Only upside. We were, we were purchased by, with that which is perfect. Hebrews 9, 13 says this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. So if all of that made sacred space, how much more the blood of Christ? Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. How much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? What is our motivation? The fact that we have been ransomed by our loving God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the last times for the sake of you. What is he talking about? He said, look, this is the plan of God. The plan of God had appointed times. This is, not a, this is not plan G, salvation. Jesus dying on the cross, ransoming your soul, providing salvation for God so loved the world that he gave, his one and only son, right? That whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is not plan G. This is not like God created people and then they sinned and he went oh my gosh I don't know what to do that's not how that is before the foundation of the world this was set in motion there are appointed times in fact in order to teach the children of Israel this God gave them appointed days and their appointed days were feast days and every one of those feast days taught them something about Christ there are appointed times this is an appointed time. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world and made manifest in these last days, at this last time, at just the right time for you and I. 
Isaiah 37, 26. Here's what God said through the prophet Isaiah. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. That you should make fortified cities crash into the heaps of ruin. The Lord is talking about the judgment coming on the children of Israel. But he's saying this was an appointed day. Your exile was an appointed time. The blood of Jesus Christ, the gift, death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of Christ is an appointed time, not as plan A, not B. This was God's purpose. He brought it at the appointed time for your sake. That's what the scripture declares. He came at these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers. Now, this is one of the things, this is, this is a beautiful thing. It's one of the things that Mark uh, tried to tiptoe around but taught anyway. And then said he wasn't going to show up for coffee. I, yes, I listen. <laughs> <clears throat> this is, the, this is the, the reality of the election of God and the responsibility of men. And one day the mystery will be utterly solved. But for now, here's what the Bible very clear, clearly teaches. The believer has been chosen. And the believer has believed. Now, you can sit around a table and argue with me which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't care. Doesn't matter. The statement is true. All believers are elect, and the elect, they are, they believe. They have put their trust in Christ. So this is what he's saying. This has happened for your sake who believe, who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our faith and hope is in him. What do we need for times of suffering? Our faith and hope in God. Not our faith and hope in anything else. I, I have a retirement account. I have no faith or hope in it. I still do it. I'm trying to be a good steward with the resources that God gave me. But my hope and faith is not in it. If there's something there, hallelujah. If there's nothing there, I knew it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> My faith and hope is in Christ. My faith and hope is in the Lord. In Titus 1, 2, and 3, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, that at the proper time manifested in his word through preaching, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What's his hope? The hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised at the beginning of the age. My hope is in him. Here's why that matters. These Christians are going to lose their lives, many of them. And they need to know that God, who raised Jesus from the dead, is able to raise them as well, should they be killed. And to take them to the seat of glory with Jesus Christ, no matter how oppressed or ashamed they are. That is not the final solution. Their final position will be with Christ. So then, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, 
by believing, trusting in the gospel for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through a living and abiding word of God. Here is our responsibility to love one another again. What does he ask? That we would love sincerely, that we would love earnestly, that we would love from the heart. Not from your head. Literally, from your bowels. Love from your bowels. Why? Because that's where feeling is. You know it. We still say it today. We get butterflies. Where are those butterflies? They're not in your heart. Right? They're in your guts. In your guts is where you feel the nerves. In your guts is where you feel those things. That's what the Bible's talking about. That you would love from there. Would be sincere, earnest, and from your heart. Why? Because you've been saved. And since you've been saved, you are able to love one another. Romans 5, 1 through 5 tells us the exact same thing. Since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character hope. Hope will not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured in our poured out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord God has provided, this grace in time of need. Our ability to love one another, our ability to walk in discipline. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid it all for us. Finally, he's going to tell us about the power of his word. In verse 24, he says, For all flesh is like grass, its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Everything these people who are receiving this letter in, in Asia Minor, that's Turkey today, the churches that were receiving this letter are being persecuted for their faith, being harassed, being oppressed. The, the world was not very appreciative of, of their view and following the Lord and walking according to the scripture. And so Peter says, listen, all this stuff, that we look around at and we think it's so important, all that stuff is like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The promise of God endures forever. The reality that Jesus Christ will be with us, he will transform us and build us into who we are in Christ Jesus. So as he lays out this idea, this grace that we have in times of need, that it's secure because it has its source in God, and that it's stable because it has its source in God. So we have this, this grace in which we can stand. Next week he's going to tell us that that grace in which we stand comes with a new identity. We're strangers in a strange land. This place is not our home. So we become like children of Abraham, who's looking for a better city, whose builder and maker is God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you, Lord. I do pray, God, that you would... Uh,
take your word, God, and allow it to accomplish what it's, what it's sent to do, Lord. Your word declares in Isaiah 55 that it won't return void. And I know it gets tangled up and choked around my words. I pray, Lord, that uh, just wash away that which is not useful and help us stand strong in that which is. God, may you be glorified and magnified in this place. And as we live in a world and a time in which we see so many things in opposition and we find ourselves in a similar place to where the audience of, of Peter were at. God, I pray that even in all of that, even with all of those things going on, God, we might desire to be a witness for you. That we would not look at the things that perish as though they're what matters. That we would look at the faces of our children and realize that matters. And where they will go and spend eternity, that matters. We spend so much time and effort to chase things, maybe they don't. God, may we have a desire to walk in faithfulness and truth. May we gird up the gird up our minds, prepare ourselves, walk in discipline, choose to be holy, create sacred space in our life where God can speak and meet with us as we read his word. God, I pray that you would help us grow into the church we're supposed to be. That we would love one another better. That we would be righteous. Stand where we're supposed to stand. Sit when we're supposed to sit. That we would allow the words of our mouth to bring you honor and glory. And that we would allow the deeds that we do to bring you honor and glory. In these days, help us be real what we are supposed to be by your grace that we have in times of need. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.